Hello, everyone, and welcome to the February episode of O&P Rising, an original podcast series produced by the American Academy of Orthotists and Prosthetists. I'm Madison Ciccoglione, a board-eligible orthotist prosthetist in northern New Jersey. With me today is Eric Waters, Residency Program Coordinator for the National Commission on Orthotic and Prosthetic Education in Alexandria, Virginia. Welcome to the podcast, Eric. Thank you, Madison. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. I'm happy to have you. I'm excited to have you join me today to discuss the OMP residency application process and transitioning to working as a resident. Having just completed my residency in December, I vividly recall applying for residencies, and I know that this topic can be quite daunting. I am sure that our listeners would like to learn best practices and strategies to ensure a successful experience. So with that, Eric, what exactly is your role with NCOPE? So I oversee all the residents in the residency program side of things. I am the head point for any issues, any questions residents have. My colleague, Claire Doyle, who's not here, she handles the residency sites and the mentors while I handle the residents. So I handle the registration form. I take care of all of their evaluation forms, competency forms. I vet their files on our side and I ultimately give them their completion credentials. Oh, gotcha. Awesome. So you've got your hand in quite a few hats there. Yeah, you could say that. I know just from personal experience, I've emailed you plenty of times along the way from start to finish of residency. So thank you for all of your help along the way. No, of course. That's what I'm here for. And you are not the only one. I get a lot of emails, a lot of phone calls every single day, just about regular questions ranging from a wide variety of topics. So speaking of all of that, why don't we talk a little bit about the two main clinical tracks for residency, because that was a huge part of the decision-making when applying. I know there's the 18-month and the two 12-month or 24-month options. So how does that play into your role? So you can do either one 12-month single discipline, where you just focus on orthotics and prosthetics, or you can do the 18-month dual Everyone's different. Everyone has different things going on with them. So one might be better for the other. As far as differences, obviously, if you do dual, you're doing both orthotics and prosthetics at the same time. My only recommendation is to be to make sure that you get at least a 60-40 split in either of them. You don't want to be orthotics heavy in one and prosthetics heavy in the other, because that could lead to some issues down the road as far as not meeting the 60-40 split. So yeah, I remember throughout my residency, that was a really important piece that I followed as we went because there were certain quarters that I was very orthotic heavy, very hospital calls heavy. And then I needed to make sure that I had my next quarter be more prosthetic heavy so that the overall residency experience met that credential of having the 60-40, which I think overall, I was very fortunate that the sites that I'm at, I was able to see everything every day for the most part. So that worked out really well for me. So what's the best way for residents to make sure they're meeting that 60-40? And how do you ensure that residents are meeting the appropriate amount of case encounters? So as far as residents go, if you're planning on doing a dual residency, I would ask the director or whoever you're interviewing in the interview, hey, what do your average patient encounters look like? Do you see both orthotics and prosthetics? Do you see 20 orthotics and one prosthetics a week? It's, It's a good idea to know before you sign an employment agreement with them to know what you're getting into because the last thing you want is to go to a dual residency site expecting to finish in 18 months 
But then you get to 18 months and you realize, oh no, I've been doing 80% on one and not the other. And then you have to extend your residency a couple months until you meet that. And as far as how I check, and any resident can do this, they can run an executive report on NCOP Tracker. And then it, if you scroll down to, I believe, page two or three, it will give you a specific percentage of both your orthotics and prosthetics. Gotcha. Yeah, I do remember that feature in the NCOPE tracker. And like you were saying during the interview process as well, that was something I was really looking for and I made sure to ask about. Back to that 18-month versus two-year option. Part of the reason why I chose the 18-month residency was because the clinic that I'm at does see everything every day. So that worked out well for me. But I'm sure that there's lots of sites that only see prosthetics mostly or only see orthotics. So that's a very important piece of the application process. That was a great point that you brought up. Yeah, it's, and it's not unusual or uncommon for people to spend their prosthetics at a prosthetics-only site and then look for an orthotics-only residency site. But you don't have to stay at the same site for both 12-month disciplines. So there is some flexibility there. That's a great point. So bringing that back to the application process, I didn't have that experience since I did it all at one site. So how would a resident go about changing sites or changing to a different location for their second residency if they needed to? So if you apply to your first residency on OP ResCast, you just do the same thing. You can look on the OP ResCast, see all the open positions, apply and interview with them. OP ResCast is where you're going to find all the residency options you have indeed for residency programs. Yeah, OP ResCast was super helpful. It was very similar to the OP Cast, which was the one that we used to apply to the graduate school programs. Okay. It was very translational, ease of use, which was great. And that's awesome that you can continue to use it again after school. So if you're at a residency site, and you want to do your second residency at the same site, do you need to reapply again for that situation as well? Yes, you do. So just like you applied for your first residency, you have to apply for your second residency, even if you're at the same site. Because you apply for your first one, you let NCOPE know, hey, I'm Joe Smith and I'm at this site. But if you don't apply for your second residency, there's no way for NCOPE to know. So yes, please apply for your second residency site, even if you're at the same site. That would be a huge help to us. And if you don't, you run the risk of delaying your start date. And that could possibly have an impact on your board exams because there's a very hard cutoff for when you apply for your boards, we take your boards, and we would like to avoid you having to sit on the sideline for a few months while you wait for the next session of exams. Absolutely. That's a great point. And you can do all of that through OP ResCast, right? Yeah. So you, even if you stay at your first residency site, you will have to apply through OP ResCast and submit a new resident registration form on our website. And it's the same exact process on if you were to leave your first site and go to a new one, which is also a very common thing. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. And like you said, very important. I feel like that's a step that could easily be forgotten in between. Yes. Unfortunately, it has happened more than once where people just assume that we know that they're doing their second residency and that things don't go so well for them, unfortunately. So please apply for your second residency. And speaking of OP ResCast, Madison, how was your experience on applying through there? It was pretty seamless from what I remember. I remember most of 
the front work was done by the time I got to OP Risecast. When you say front work, you're talking about resume, cover letters? All those things that people need to see that you're going to send to almost all of them. So at Eastern Michigan University, where I went to O&P school, we had a course over the summer in between our first and second year where we had someone from like career services come in and he reviewed all our resumes. We did practice interviews with him and he has been working with O&P department specifically for a long time. So even though he's not an O&P professional, he knows what the residency sites are looking for. He's actually gone out and spoken with residency sites to see what they're looking for in candidates and all of these different things. So it was an awesome resource. I highly recommend if anybody in O&P grad school has those resources at their school, use them all up because it was so beneficial. The resume review alone is huge because there's always a typo in there that you're not going to see until someone else finds it. Of course. But yes. This year at the Academy meeting, there's also a resume renegade workshop, which I would imagine would be super helpful. Oh, Not yeah. only for residents, but for people who are looking to find just a new job or looking for a new site after residency as well. No, I didn't know that. So that's a really great resource. I might bring my resume. Yeah, for sure. Just to have it ready to go. But bringing it back, after all of the documents and practicing were done, then I applied on OP ResCast. Some sites that I had never heard of before and some sites that I was already familiar with where I had shadowed or I already had some kind of connection to. And then the facilities contact you and view your information through OP ResCast. Mm -hmm. And then the interviews begun. Did they ask for any references? Yes, that is a very good question. I do believe I had to put references in OP ResCast, which I chose former mentors that I had while I was shadowing, like before even going to graduate school, and then some from my clinical rotations during graduate school. You want to make sure you choose wisely, choose people that you have a great relationship yeah, with, and only have good things to say about you, that the oh. residency sites can use to vet you more to make sure you'll be a good match for their site. No, of course. And you mentioned shadowing. Did you do that on your own, or was that through the school? A little bit of both. Prior to going to school, I shadowed a bunch on my own. And then at school, we had to do a certain amount of hours per semester. And then during the summer in between first and second year, we had clinical rotations, which those were a great time to make connections and learn more about the job and the day-to-day -day of being a practitioner. A lot of experience even outside of school. I tried. So talking about OP ResCast, is that somewhere you can find all of the residency sites? All the residency sites that have open positions, yes. If some resident or prospective resident has a verbal agreement with the site, they still have to apply through OP ResCast. Every resident has to apply there and every open residency site has to put their job openings on OP ResCast. So I would start there if you're looking for a residency site. That's a great point. I remember thinking back, a lot of the connections I made when looking for a residency were through my shadowing experiences and internships. And not all of them were on OP ResCast. So I did have to make a point to go ask them and say, hey, can you please update your information on OP ResCast so that I can apply and make it official and obviously make sure that the facility is NCOP accredited. That's a huge, <laughs> important box to check. Yes, please make sure your sites are NCOP accredited because I've had, unfortunately, numerous residents that had to delay their start date because the site was missing some 
crucial accreditation. So that's about the last thing you want before you even start your residency. Yeah, that's definitely not a great way to start it off on the right foot. But I believe you mentioned two weeks before was a good time to start getting everything in order. Yeah, depending on the time of year, I see anywhere from a handful to tens of applications come in through the week. And two weeks is a good buffer for NCOPE so we can get you registered, make sure the site is in good standing, and get you all the login information and all the important residency information at your availability before you start your residency. Awesome. Yeah, that's a good point. Good for everybody to know. Yeah, the only one that was a little bit different was the hangar application. They're the only accredited residency site that's not on OP ResCast. So that is something important to keep in mind as you're applying. Yes, Hangar does their own thing. So as far as you're interested in the Hangar site, which they have a whole lot around the country, they will not be on OP ResCast, so you have to reach out to them directly. So what types of things are we looking for on OP ResCast? I'm assuming we need a res, some essays, and application questions. I'm going to leave that to you, Madison. I Do you remember anything that you had to do through OP ResCast? Upload your resume, do a cover letter, essays, like what kind of things were you looking for? Yeah, it's all coming back. I do remember having to upload a resume, which I did have reviewed by so many people before I finally sent it out. I highly recommend everyone have everyone they know read their resume and some cover letters occasionally. A lot of the clinics would have, why do you want to work here type of question? Like, how do you see yourself fitting in? Of course. And then I think most of the connection came from the interviews. One of the biggest pieces of advice that I got was, it's not just them interviewing you, it's the resident interviewing this site as well to make sure that it's going to be a good fit for everyone. Obviously, you don't want to end up with a mentor that you don't necessarily get along with too well. No, of course um, not. And yeah, that's good so advice for just jobs in general. Yeah, that's a good point. So like we were talking about before, moving on to a second residency site and then possibly a full-time position at a new site after residency, that's a great point. So were your interviews online or were they in person? Yeah, I had a little bit of both. Some of them were combined with shadowing experiences, like they treated that as an interview. Other ones were on Zoom calls, all depended on where they were in the country, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Something that was very important to me, actually, being from New Jersey, is looking into the licensure process because New Jersey has a very specific licensure law. So I needed to make sure that whatever site I picked would help me meet all of the requirements to achieve that licensure. Yes, that's a good point. That might be something that some prospective residents don't understand is about, I'd say maybe 20-ish states have state licensure and Pennsylvania and Florida also get to register with them ahead of time. NCOPE sends you a verification or registration before your residency starts. We do that as a courtesy. But that is something that everyone in grad school, everyone looking to start a residency, that is something that you should look into as well. Yeah, for sure. I've heard a couple of my friends from graduate school had to very carefully consider the same thing when looking at sites. Because ultimately, it can limit where you could work after residency, which is something that was really important to me, just because most of my friends and family are in this area. 
So I wanted to make sure I was able to come back to New Jersey. I wanted to always have that option if I needed it. So you mentioned all those forms that residents need to fill out prior to beginning their residency. So after someone does find a residency site and they've made a great connection, they're accepted, they're ready to go, everyone's graduating, we're all excited. What does the prospective resident have to do to ensure that they are good to go with ENCOPE? So after they had the interview and they accept the job offer and they make sure that the site is ENCOPE accredited, they will go on our website, ENCOPE.org, and they will submit a resident registration form, which that is a about like a two or three page form just letting us know, my name is Joe Smith, I'm going to Hangar, and it'll be in Boca Raton, Florida. This is the address, this is my director. It asks you a bunch of questions and that gets sent to me. That tells me everything I need to know. And then I register the resident in our system. I set them up in Tracker. And then once that is all done, I send them a verification of registration email that has all the tracker information, their login credentials, some page on FAQs, and everything they need to be a successful resident. Wow, yeah, that's a lot of behind-the-scenes work that you have to do to make sure that the ENCOPE tracker is up and running for each resident. I remember getting used to the ENCOPE tracker because you have to input all your patient encounters. Once I got the hang of it, it was super easy to use. It was a great tool. And like you mentioned, those forms that you can run that tell you exactly what you've seen, what you need to do more of, it was super, super helpful along the way. Yeah, we have a lot of tools at the resident's disposal to help them know where they stand in ENCOPE size, both on Tracker and on our website. Awesome. Yeah. Speaking of that, I was on the website a ton looking at all of the different options for the quarterly projects and the clinical activities because there were a couple to choose from. Those are pretty fun. I remember doing a case study. I think I did two of those. I did a journal club. I did a couple of different activities along the way. Assuming you go to the clinical track and not the research track, you have five options. And the clinical track, you have to do one a quarter. Like I said, five options. There's the critically appraised topic, journal club, case presentation, professional in-service, and a presentation once a quarter. And then you have your professional in-service, which both clinical and research both have to do one a uh, residency. Yes, I remember doing all of those. A lot of those activities, especially the outreach ones, they were a lot of fun. I remember going back to my high school and giving a presentation about O&P in the field as a whole. And the high school kids were pretty interested. I must say, I'm proud that I was able to keep their attention for a full hour. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That's great to hear. Yeah, you, you can absolutely use that. Go out and spread the word about O&P. Go back to a high school, elementary school, let the kids know because... I've talked to some current students in the last two or three years, and they found out about the career of O&P a little late in their lives, and like in college late. So it's great that we're getting the word out and you're doing your part. That's awesome. Speaking of that, there's a big social media campaign called What is Pop? Anyone could go look it up. It's awesome. It's a lot of students, a lot of O&P students are on there showing their experiences throughout school. It's a very fun way of promoting the field as a whole. Yes, that is uh, run by ABC, I believe, and they do a lot of great work. They go to 
science fairs, STEM fairs. They go to elementary schools, high schools, and doing what you were just talking about, spreading the word of OMP and letting people know that, hey, this is a career option. It's a pretty great career option. That's awesome. If you're going to be in the Chicago area this March, the AAOP national meeting is happening in Chicago. Eric, can you tell us a little bit about some events happening there? Yes. So we have a future resident luncheon and a future resident networking session. The luncheon will be March 8th, 12 p.m. to 1.30 p.m. Capacity is limited. You can join us for an insightful luncheon as newly certified practitioners uncover the pivotal factors in selecting a residency program. They listen as they share valuable insights, stuff like what they wish they had known before starting their residency and benefit from their wisdom to make the most of your training. You can learn firsthand how to navigate the path to successful residency as you embark on your professional journey. And then the future resident networking session is the same day, Friday, March 8th, 4.15 to 5.30 p.m. That is a very exciting networking event tailored for students to engage with residency program directors, seasoned mentors, and representatives of the OMP national organizations. And you can share your aspirations, expand your professional network, ask questions, and seek advice about embarking on your residency journey. This event is your gateway to the valuable connections and information. Wow, those sound like two awesome events that I honestly wish I knew about back when I was applying to residency. It would have been great to get to talk to current practitioners at the time that had just gotten out of the whole process. No, yeah, it's, it's really great. I did this last year in uh, Nashville. I talked to a bunch of students at the newly accredited Kennesaw State, and they had a lot of questions. They learned a lot about what I do. I learned a lot about what they do as students. So I think it was a really great luncheon and very beneficial for all parties. That's super awesome. And it's awesome that you get to go to those things and learn about what it's like from our perspective. No, it, it is. I am not a clinician. I have not done this before. So it's when I started this, it opened me up to a whole new world. And it's always nice to go to these events and put a name to a face because I send a lot of emails. I do a lot of phone calls and I don't really get to do a lot of one-on-one interaction with the residents. So these are good events for us. Absolutely. Eric, are there any other crucial resources that NCOPE has for residents or incoming residents that you would recommend to take a look at? Yes. So on our website, ncope.org, we have two huge resources. We have the resident status report where you fill in your information and it will tell you everything that NCOPE has marked off for you as far as evaluations, competency forms, all things of that nature. That will let you know where you stand and if you are missing anything. And then we also have the residency timeline report where you enter your information again and it will tell you, okay, so your quarter one ends on this date that means you have to have XYZ submitted. And so that's just a good thing to check in every other week. Am I on track? Am I in good standing? And I don't think it's something that enough residents know we have. So I just wanted to put that out there. That's a great point. That was a tool that I found well into my residency that I wish I had found sooner. So thanks for bringing that up. Eric, this was all such great information. Thanks for sharing all this insight. No, I was happy to be here. Thanks for having me. And thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of OMP Rising. Join us each month as we continue our conversation with seasoned OMP professionals as they share candid insights on topics relevant to those interested in starting on the right foot when it comes to a career in OMP. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, 
Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And don't forget to check out the Academy's other podcasts for OMP professionals, the award-winning OMP Research Insights with Dr. Steve Bard and OMP Clinical Insider with Academy Scientific Society's Chair, Seth O'Brien, a podcast created for conversations on specific areas of clinical care. For more information on the American Academy of Orthodists and Prosthetists, visit us online at onp.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.